I know you've heard me talk about in the past how long I've been on staff, and I've been here a long time. One of the blessings of being here a long time is the staff, not only are the staff, but they're your family. You really do. You become family, not just employees and workers. You become family. And some of them, you actually see them grow up, like from a little kid to adult, so they really are like family to you. Our senior pastor, Dudley Rutherford, is away for a few days with his family, enjoying some downtime. So he's asked a young man to come uh, speak for us tonight. And um, I've known this young man for a long, long, long time. And um, God knew of this day many, many, many years ago. Um, his name is Caleb. And um, Caleb and I probably never thought this day would come, but it has. Hey, ladies, church starts at 6. <laughs> I couldn't resist. They're here like 2 o'clock every afternoon getting ready for this and their worship team. But um, let's give it up for them. But anyway, uh, Dudley asked a young man to come preach, and he grew up in this church. I remember he went to kids' ministry. I think back then we were having five or six services, so he went to kids' ministry six times every weekend <laughs> and made it through it. It's just amazing that he made it through that. Then he went away to Bible College, a place called Ozark uh, Christian College back in Joplin, Missouri. There's no way you went to Ozark, did you? Oh, yeah, Corey, you're here. Some of our staff did go to Ozark. Corey, Dusty, Sean, Suzanne, Dudley. That's a Bible college back in Missouri. And then we talked him into coming back. And he's been with us the last few years on staff. Really, he's been on the staff his entire life, almost. But um, he's going to preach for us tonight. You guys don't know how hard this is. Dudley makes this look so easy walking onto the stage. But it is actually not that easy. So would you please give a warm welcome as he comes out here and welcome Caleb Walden, who is like a son to me. I'm so proud of him. Would you welcome Caleb Walden as he comes out here? Thank you, Pastor Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Man, y'all are going to make me cry before I even get started. Uh, yeah, like Pastor Tim said, I've been at this church since I was two years old. My parents moved out here uh, from, from Iowa, and we've been here ever since, so it's like 22, 23 years now. Um, and, and this church really is family to me. I mean, I remember Pastor Tim coming to my football games growing up, and Pastor Dudley coming to my basketball games, and so this whole church staff, but also you, even if I don't know you, I, I consider you my family, and I'm thankful for Shepherd Church. A little more about me, I got married a, a year ago to the girl who did communion a little earlier, the redheaded girl. Um, so, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, it's really been the best year of my life. I know it's been hard in, in a lot of ways, but just being married to her has really been the best and most blessed year of my life. And also for the last three and a half years, I've been working over with Shepherd Youth, which that is, oh, there we got Shepherd Youth in the house. There you all are. Oh, man, love you all. Man, youth ministry is just fun. It is just a good time working over in youth ministry. I remember mid-pandemic, we were on Zoom for D-groups, and I had, I had seventh and eighth grade boys on Zoom for D-groups. And if you didn't like Zoom, imagine seventh and eighth grade boys after they had school on Zoom all day, then getting on D-groups for Zoom. It was, it was rough. So we tried to think like, what can we do to make these seventh and eighth grade boys stay engaged, maybe turn their cameras on for once. What can we do? What do seventh and eighth grade boys like? And we were like, well, they like girls. 
They, they wanna talk about girls, so we're like, maybe we can give them some godly dating advice. And so the next week they all came on and before we started the lesson, I was like, let me just, let me give you a little bit of, of godly dating advice. First, make sure your parents know, talk to them about it. But if you wanna date a girl, look for these three things. And I said, look for Christ, make sure Jesus is number one, really number one. Then I said, look for chemistry, there needs to be some chemistry, and then make sure she's cute. I was like, and that is your, that's your order of priorities, Christ first, chemistry cute, but I was like, if those three are there, your parents know, sure, did, you know, talk to her, see how it goes. The next week, we're on, a D, we're on our Zoom D group, about 80 guys are on, and one of my boys, he, he, um, he unmutes, and, and he unmutes and he says, hey Caleb, what if I like a girl, but she's not in my chemistry class? Is that, <laughs> can I still date her, or should I like, and so I had to explain, no, like, you know, she's easy to talk to. You guys get along, Kim, not that. Uh. So it's, youth ministry's fun. If you're in here, you're a student. We'd love to see you over at Shepherd Youth sometime. Um, but I'm just honored to be here with you all. I'm thankful that Pastor Dudley has allowed me this opportunity. And, and together, in our time together today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a problem that I see in my own soul, but a problem I also see in most people's souls and then we're just gonna open God's word and see what kind of help, what kind of remedy does God have for us? And here's our problem, and I'll start with myself. My problem is that I am overwhelmingly blessed, but most of the time I don't feel like it. My problem is I am overwhelmingly blessed, but most of the time my thoughts and my feelings are overwhelmed by what I don't have, by what I'm missing, by what hasn't happened yet. And I'd imagine that most of you are with me. You would probably say you're very blessed, maybe overwhelmingly blessed, but you don't always feel as blessed as you are. And our problem reminds me of this rule I've heard of. It's called the 80-20 rule. Maybe you've heard of it at work. It's like a, a popular rule, but it actually started back in the early 1900s. This Italian economist noticed in his backyard that in his garden, 20% of the plants in his garden produced 80% of his harvest. So the minority of his plants produced the majority of his uh, harvest. And then he took this to work and he noticed in the Italian economy that 20% of the population in all of Italy held 80% of the wealth. And so this 80-20 rule kind of started really just the point of it is to say sometimes 20% of something leads to the majority of the results. And I see this 80-20 rule illustrating this truth that we're overwhelmingly blessed but we don't always feel like it. Because even though 80% or whatever your number is, is good, the 20% that isn't good takes up 80% of our thoughts and feelings. The 20% that went wrong takes up most of our lives. So our lives are blessed, but they don't always feel blessed. The things that go wrong or hurt or fail, they, they weigh heavy. And that's really what this 80-20 rule illustrates to me, that the negative in our lives just weighs heavier than the positive. The negative in our lives weighs heavier than the positive. It might just be 20 or 30% that went wrong, but it weighs a lot more than what has gone right, which means we're blessed, but focused on the negative. And you all know this because you're living it right now. We live this in every single moment. Some of you in these past few years, you, you bought a house and you love your house. 80% of your house is perfect, except the kitchen. And you just, you're always thinking about how you wanna update the kitchen. Every time people come over, you're like, man, I hope they don't look at the kitchen. And, and your, your house is awesome, it's great, 
But just your kitchen, that one thing that's wrong that you wanna upgrade and update, that takes away from your joy of homeownership. Others of you, you've been married for a while. Your spouse hits 80% of your expectations. They're really good most of the time. But you find yourself focusing on the parts of them that need some upgrades. Some of you, you're, you're seniors in high school. You're about to graduate. Life is good. You're dating somebody. Family, family life is going well. But you don't know where you're going to go to college yet. You haven't got accepted to the place you wanted to get accepted. And that one question mark is what overwhelms your thoughts and feelings. Others of you, you're past college. You've been working for a while. Things are good. But God hasn't put the perfect person in your life yet. And that's what takes up most of your thoughts and your prayers. What's missing? The negative just weighs heavy. Even in the midst of overwhelming blessings, it's easy to focus on the negative. And especially around the holidays. Because a lot of you, you just had a Thanksgiving that was, it was great. You got to see family, you got to see grandbabies, everybody was together. But you also celebrated your first Thanksgiving without someone. And the weight of missing them was overwhelming because the negative is just, it's just heavy, heavier than the positive. And the biggest problem in all of this is that if we can't learn to see the negative and the positive in the proper perspective, we can go through our whole lives being blessed but never feeling blessed, or worse, we can go through our lives drowning in the weight of the negative and missing out on joy. So here's, here's the question I want us to think about today. Really, it's just how can we be content? How can we be content? And content, that word just means satisfied. Satisfied at peace with reality. So how can we be content with the overwhelming blessings we have and thankful for them? But also, how can we be content when life feels like it's throwing all of its best punches one after the other and the negative comes all at once. How can we be content? And to answer this question, we're gonna look at the writings of Paul, specifically Philippians 4, verse four. This is one of the richest passages in the Bible. We'll read through verse 13. And so we're just gonna break it down a little bit together and see what does God have to say about contentment? But we're actually gonna start by reading the end first. So we're gonna read Philippians 4, 10 through 13, and then we're gonna read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And the reason why we're gonna do this is I want you to see the goal first. I want you to see how content Paul is. And then once we see how content Paul is, then we'll read the next part, Philippians 4, 4 through 9, to see how he got there. So let's read Philippians 4, verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So real quick, a little bit of background. Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter. And while he's in prison, the church of Philippi sent him a gift of some kind. So what he's doing in verse 10 is he's saying, hey, thank you for your gift. Thank you for showing your care for me. But then he does something that seems odd at first, but it's really life-changing when you, when you understand it. It's in verse 11. He says, I'm not saying thank you for your gift because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, there's our word, content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. Paul knows what it's like to have all of life's best punches thrown at him. He says, I know what it is to have plenty. He's been overwhelmingly blessed. And he says, I've learned the secret of being content 
in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So, so Paul basically, he says, hey, thank you for your gift, but, but I didn't need it, which seems kind of weird, but really he's using this as a teaching moment to say, I am content in the Lord. I'm content when 80% of my life is great. I'm content when 80% of my life is falling apart, but I am content always. And to prove this to you, to make sure you know that Paul's not just like trying to make a nice point, but that he's really content, I wanna show you one more verse, or two more verses. It's in First uh, Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 13. So it's the beginning of the same book. Here's what Paul says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, he's talking about being in prison, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result of my imprisonment, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, hey, this prison thing, it's actually not going too bad. A lot, of, a lot of good stuff is coming out of this. Everybody knows I'm here for Jesus. Paul is so content that he's finding purpose in his prison stay. Paul is so content that his prison is now a platform to preach the gospel and share the love of Jesus, and that's what I want. I want it for me, I want it for you. I want, I want a deep joy when life is good but I also want a deep joy in the metaphorical prisons of life. So how do we get that? How do we get that level of contentment no matter what? How do we get to the point where the weight of the negative doesn't feel so heavy, but instead we find purpose in everything? That's what we need to find out. So let's read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. This is Paul's path to contentment. Paul says this in Philippians 4, he says, rejoice, it's the first word, and that word just really means thank you or be glad, be thankful, be glad. Rejoice in who? Rejoice in who? Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So, so how was Paul content in all situations? It, it didn't start by saying, thank you God that I'm in prison. It, it didn't start by Paul saying, thank you God for my overwhelming blessings. He did both of those things. He, he said thank you for both of those, but that wasn't where his contentment started. Those were outcomes of Paul first saying, thank you God for who you are. Thank you, God, for who you are. Paul's secret to contentment is found in the first four words of verse four when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Not rejoice in your prison, not rejoice in what's good, rejoice in the Lord always. 
I don't know why my whole life I read these verses and I thought that contentment started when you rejoiced in the prison, for the prison, when you rejoice in your pain and for the pain that does something magical that, that changes your heart, but that's not where it starts. You don't start by thanking God for the prison. You start by thanking God for being God. You rejoice in who God is. And once you've rejoiced in the Lord, then and only then can you get the perspective to be able to say, thank you God for this prison I'm in. You can only find the good in your pain if you first know how good your God is. So here's Paul's main point in all these verses, and this is on your outlines. Paul's main point is this. Contentment is found not in answering how, but by rejoicing in who God is. Contentment is found not in answering how, but by rejoicing in who God is. And when you rejoice in who God is, contentment can be found in the lowest moments of your lives. When you rejoice in who God is, contentment can be found no matter what situation you're facing. Because who God is doesn't change based on the circumstances that you face. Contentment isn't found in answering how, or knowing what's next, or getting more. Contentment is found in knowing who God is and rejoicing in him. And that's also why Paul says in verse eight, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Who or what do you think he would be talking about right there? Maybe a few things, but I know someone who fits the description, God. He's saying, think about who God is because by contemplating on who God is, you are led to contentment. Contentment is found not in answering how, but by rejoicing in who God is. So because of this truth, here's what we're gonna do for the rest of our time together. We're gonna dig into Philippians 4 and a few other verses to see this picture that Paul was painting of who God is. Because when you rejoice in who God is, that is when you find contentment. So who is God? What can we rejoice in about God? Number one, you can rejoice in God's presence. You can always rejoice in God's presence. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So don't be anxious about anything. The Lord is near. In uh, chapter four, verse nine, Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard uh, from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So two times in five verses about finding contentment by rejoicing in who God is, two times in five verses, Paul says, the Lord is near, God is with you. And whenever an author in scripture repeats something that you, you wanna pay attention, Paul is trying to make clear that we as believers can always rejoice in God's constant presence in our lives. David says in Psalm 23, four, that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In Psalm 84, verses one through two and 10, the psalmist writes, how lovely is your dwelling place. How lovely is your presence, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. Verse 10 says, better is one day in your presence, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. So Philippians 4 reminds us that even when we're anxious about our future, we can still rejoice that we know who is near, the God of peace. 
Psalm 23 reminds us that even when we face life's darkest moments, when a health issue comes up, when we lose a loved one, we can still rejoice in who is with us, the God of comfort. Psalm 84 reminds us that we can rejoice that God's presence is better than anything else our world has to offer. The verse says that one day in God's presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. You know, that's, that's almost three years. So think of like your favorite thing, doing that for three years. One day in God's presence is better than a three year all expenses paid vacation. One day in God's presence is better than your team winning the Super Bowl three years in a row. God's presence is the greatest gift that you have access to on this earth. And you can rejoice that God's presence that is that good is always available to you. So if you wanna be content, learn to be in God's presence. Learn to rejoice in God's presence. Learn to have times in prayer that are so rich you never wanna leave. Learn to open up God's word and feed the depths of your soul because contentment is found not in answering how, but by knowing who is always with you. Number one, you can rejoice in God's presence. Number two, the second truth about God you can always rejoice in is you can rejoice in God's provision. You can rejoice in God's provision, what he has provided in your life. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So Paul says, don't worry, just tell God what you need. Don't worry, just tell God what you need. Why would he say that? Because Paul knows after everything he's been through, after all of his time in prison, that God always provides for his children. Paul is content always because he knows that God always provides. Which is why if you read a little bit further to Philippians 4.19, Paul says, God will meet all your needs through the riches of and the glory of Christ Jesus. Paul is content always because he knows that God always provides. When I was 18 years old, I was about to drive off to Ozark Christian College, uh, to Bible College, and Dudley told me before I went, he said, hey, you need to preach every single weekend. There's all these little country churches that will have you, you can drive an hour, two, three hours, go preach, a pretty bad sermon, and then they'll pay you the gas money, and then it's, honestly, it's great for young preachers, because you can just get your reps in, kind of try to figure out what you're doing. So Dudley said, do that every single weekend. But right before I went to Ozark, my car died. It blew a head gasket, and I was, it wasn't worth fixing. I didn't really have money anyways. So I went to my parents, and I kind of explained why I needed a car, and I said, hey, can you help me? And they said, well, your sister needs a car too. So we're, we're gonna help your sister get a car, and then we'll see what we can do, but we just can't promise that we can help you. And then they said something that annoyed me at the time. They said, just pray. Just tell God what you need, he provides. And I remember thinking, okay, this is a, this is a practical need. This isn't spiritual. This is, I didn't say that, I'm not gonna say that, but I, I thought it. Like, this is practical, not spiritual. I'm, I'm gonna pray, but I, I just said, okay, let's, I'll pray. That, that was the beginning of summer, about three months before I went to Bible college. Towards the end of summer, no car, nothing. Uh, my mom's best friend comes into town. They're sitting in the living room talking, and my mom, I'm, I'm, I'm with them. I, I hear my mom say, oh yeah, Taylor, who's my older sister. Taylor, she, she needs a car, and we're just trying to, fit. and my mom's friend interrupts her. Oh, Taylor needs a car? 
Well, I have a car back home in Iowa. If you fly out and, get, and grab it, drive it home, it's yours. You can have that car. And I thought, that is so cool. I wish my mom started with my name. <laughs> I could have I had a car, but I, you know, I was like, hey, now my parents, they might be able to help me because my sister is taken care of and they didn't have to pay anything. So now they got me. And then my mom says to her friend, that is amazing, thank you. Now we just need to figure out how to get Caleb a car. And my mom's friend says, oh, Caleb needs a car? I was just about to buy a new car. He can have my old one. My mom got given two free cars in one conversation. And then she turned to me and she started crying. And she turned to me and she said, see Caleb, God always provides. God always provides. I learned a few things from that experience. Number one, my mom is still always right. Where, where are my youth students at? I know, I know you don't wanna hear it, but your parents care about you and they, they, they give good advice, you should listen. The second thing I learned is that I should trust God to provide in my life more than I do. Even though I didn't know how I'd get a car, I should have known who it was coming from, my provider. And I need you to know that God is your provider too. God will provide for you. I don't know how. I don't know that God's gonna give you a car if you need a car. I don't know how he's gonna do it. I don't know how you'll pay for college. I don't know how you'll get through a heartbreak. I don't know how you'll get over the addiction you're struggling with. I don't know how you'll find money to pay for your rent or pay for your mortgage. I don't know how, but I do know who your provider is. Your provider is God. The God who created the world is your source. The God who holds the universe together is your supplier. So whatever needs you have, God can provide, and God has a long track record of perfect faithfulness towards his people. Contentment is found not in answering how, but by rejoicing in who your God is, and your God is your provider, and you can always rejoice in his provision. The third truth about God that you can always rejoice in is you can always rejoice in God's providence. You can always rejoice in God's providence. That's a big word. That's a, that's a Bible college word. But it's, it's, a, it's a good word. It's a word that we should know. Providence, I, I defined it in your notes as the all-powerful God the all-powerful God working for your good. The all-powerful God working for your good. Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, he says, and we know that in all things, in every area of our life, the good, the bad, the ugly, every area of your life, God works for the, what's that word? God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. In all things, the all-powerful God is working for your good if you are a believer in Jesus. In all areas of your life, God is working for good. He promised it, which means you can trust it. No matter how bad your life looks right now, you can trust that good is coming because God promised it. Let me try to give you a picture of what providence looks like in our lives. Any sports fans in the room? Lakers? Lakers fans? No, I know it's, are you embarrassed right now? I'm so, I, hey. I'm with, I'm with the Lakers, always. Any Clippers fans? Oh, okay, that's Rams, Raiders. Okay, we got, a, we got a couple of sports fans, but as a sports fan and as a responsible adult, there comes a moment in your life where because of 
prior obligations, you have to record a game. I know, it's, it's hard to even talk about, just thinking of it. And, and for me, I, like, I love the Oklahoma Sooners. Tonight they're playing against Oklahoma State. I know you don't even care about Oklahoma, but I'm recording the game. And what happens is when we love a team and we have to record a game, I don't know about you, but for me, I have to check the score. I'm not gonna wait till I get home to watch the game. I need to know, did my team win? I'm sure some of you are like that too. But what happens every now and then is you, you check, you see that your team won, you go, yay, okay, we get to go home, watch my team win. You go home and you watch the recording, and then in the first half, your team is falling apart. They're totally out of sync. You're down 30 points, you're down three touchdowns, you're like, how, what is happening? But this is different, right? Because you recorded it. You already know who wins. So instead of yelling at the TV, feeling anxious, praying, which I have done, I'm sorry to admit, even over a sports game, instead of doing any of that, you can just sit back and say, I don't know how we do it, but I know we win. And in the same way, God's providence works in our lives because he has promised to work things out for good for you. So even if nothing is working out like you thought, even if you're in the middle of the hardest moment of your life, you still know who wins. You know who's fighting to bring good back into your life. And because you know who your God is, you're able to sit back and watch life with a different perspective because you know God is working to bring good back into your life. That is how God's providence works for us. You can rejoice in God's presence. You can rejoice in God's provision. You can rejoice in God's providence. But let me give you one practical step. It's not on your notes, but here's, here's your homework for the week. Because all this stuff is true, but unless you rejoice in God every single day, you won't start to find contentment. You need to practice rejoicing every single day. So here's my challenge for you for a week. For the next week, I, I wanna challenge you to set an alarm on your phone for 11.25, a.m. or p.m., I don't, I don't care, whatever works better for you. That was the, the date of Thanksgiving, so this is your Thanksgiving challenge. Set an alarm for 11.25, and every time that goes off, I want you to spend a minute or two just rejoicing in who God is. There's this old hymn, it's called Count Your Blessings. We used to sing that when I would drive out to those churches uh, when I was at Bible college. I, I loved that hymn. It says, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. So that's your homework for the week. I want you to count your blessings. Count what God has given to you and provided for you. Why? Because the negative is heavy in our lives. The 20% that goes wrong can weigh us down and make us forget our blessings. But if you rejoice in who God is, you can find contentment. So count your blessings. Count the blessings that you have in God's presence. Has God given you his Holy Spirit? Has God given you peace and forgiveness? Were you able to forgive yourself from past sins? Thank God for it this week. Thank God and count the blessings that God has faithfully provided. Has God given you a family, a home? Do you have running water, a fridge with food? My niece is in town, she's 11 months old, she's super cute. I should have brought a picture, but I didn't. But she's, she has this little baby book and it's called Thank You Jesus for My Puppy and Everything Else I Love. <laughs> Do you have a dog that you love? Thank God for it. What else has God given you that you love? Thank God for what he's provided in your life this week every time that alarm goes off. Count the blessings, 
of God's providence. Has God gotten you through a time that you never thought you'd make it through? Has God brought good in your life when you thought good wasn't possible again? Thank him for it. That's your homework for this week. 11.25, every day for a week, spend a few moments thanking God for who he is and counting your blessing because it leads to contentment. And I have one more point as we close, one more point, and it's this. The cross guarantees that who God is doesn't change based on how you perform. This is, this is the best part of all of it because if, if it's based on your performance, then who God is changes for you, but it's not. It's based on what Jesus did. The cross guarantees that who God is doesn't change based on how you perform. It's easy for us to think that God will give us his presence, provision, and providence as long as we're good enough, as long as we don't do that one sin again. That couldn't be further from the truth. What Jesus did on the cross guarantees who Jesus is in your life. Who God is hasn't changed based on how you've done. God still loves you. God is still working for good in your life. God is still with you. And God will always be with you. So rejoice in who God is. And rejoice in who God always is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that will lead you to contentment. And if you're here and you haven't ever said yes to Jesus, if you don't have God's presence, his provision and providence in your life and you want it, or, or if you've just been overwhelmed with the negative these past few years, because it's been hard not to be, if you've been overwhelmed with anxiety, struggling to find joy and meaning in your life, then today you can say yes to Jesus. You can trust in him and you can be baptized and you can find reasons to rejoice in God today if you accept Jesus as your savior. So I'm gonna pray, but after I pray, if you have a decision you wanna make, just walk over to these doors and we'll have counselors who can lead you through the greatest decision of your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all you do for us. God, usually when we see the word give thanks in the Bible, there's another word that follows it always. Always, always give thanks, always rejoice because the thankfulness should be like the air that we breathe, God. So God, help, help us to do that this week. Help us to complete this challenge of just thanking you and giving thanks for who you are and thank you for what you've done for us on the cross, Jesus. It's in your name I pray, amen. Thank you all very much.